Uh, hey guys, <laughs> welcome to Westeros Weekly, the show that answers your biggest questions about every episode of Game of Thrones. I'm Philip Molina, and I am flying solo right now because we are stretched real thin right now. You might have noticed Avengers Endgame came out the same weekend that the Battle of Winterfell happened, and we're just all exhausted and covered in blood like everybody else is right now, uh, all our favorite characters at least. So uh, I'm going to hold down the fort. I haven't slept. This is going to be interesting. Reminder, all of our Game of Thrones coverage is available in our Westeros Weekly podcast feed. Uh, get our Season 8 content in audio form there earlier than you can in the video versions. Look for Westeros Weekly on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, you crazy podcast listening uh, senior citizens. And also, uh, check out our new MCU podcast it's, uh, called Inside Marvel. It has all of our Avengers Endgame related content, all the theories. That were, oh, my, my head just started to hurt immediately as I started to think about that at the same time. So I'll end that part. Uh, we got a lot of great questions from you guys this week uh our weekly power rankings are coming we have our kill count we actually did a kill count which was like like we're not gonna do a kill count this week we did it's insane uh i'm 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 drunk on on exhaustion and love for this show and man this episode was so crazy we're gonna start out the same way we always do i'm just gonna get into a big old question that's on my mind on your guys mind this question and all our questions come from like twitter and stardust and stuff uh with the hashtag westeros weekly but let's get into it from twitter at paul tours asks is Arya Azora high? I don't know who I'm looking at off, sc- off screen right now. Uh, okay, according to the prophecy of the the prince that was promised, which by the way, prince is actually just us deciding that it's the prince. It doesn't have to be a prince. It could be a princess. Uh, okay, so in the religion of the Lord of Light, there's a prophesied savior who is a reincarnation of the legendary hero Azora High. That figure is supposed to lead the people against a darkness by wielding a flaming sword called Lightbringer. So we've had a lot of theories about who this could be, and most people's guess is basically Jon Snow. We even said it could be Jamie Lannister. He did have a moment last night that kind of made it seem like maybe he could be. But the case of Arya being Azor Ahai is really interesting. Here's why maybe not. She, as far as we know, was not born under a bleeding star near salt and smoke. Uh, she didn't hatch dragons out of stone. Uh, there's a lot of weird details with this prophecy. She's not born of the line of Eris II and Rayla, like John and Danny, uh, in, which is from the Woods Witch prophecy of this. Also, the show hasn't really focused on the prophecy part itself. Melisandre did talk about a similar prophecy of just, in general, the Princess Promise. Uh, and also, just prophecies in this show haven't really like been taken uh, so literally on the show. Remember, Melisandre thought it was going to be Stannis Baratheon that was the, the prince that was promised or Azor High. So here's my theory, okay? If uh, uh, we are just taking the part of the prophecy that says this hero will return and will end the long night and will bring back, you know, daytime, uh, the, uh, then that is the... The possibility of that is actually all that needs to be need to happen in order for someone to become Azora High. The stuff about us feeling like, oh, well, they have to kill their lover by plunging a sword and whatnot. 
may or may not be necessary or it might be interpreted completely different differently but it's kind of like if we were to say hey there's a prophecy that jesus is going to return he doesn't necessarily have to redo the story of the bible in order for jesus to return uh so i'm thinking it could be something like that uh the biggest reason for that of course is she brought about the end of the long night and she defeated the night king which is kind of what the whole prophecy is about right uh but the other little details you might be able to like come up with ways to to make them work uh lightbringer is supposed to be uh related to the sacrifice of a loved one ideally like kind of a lover but if you do think maybe what if lightbringer is represented in the cat's paw dagger well bran is her her brother who was almost sacrificed with the cat's paw dagger also the cat's paw dagger itself it was in uh the books that sam was looking at in the citadel way back when uh it could be related to the creation of the Night King himself. Uh, who knows? Maybe the Caspaw Daggers, Valyrian Steel, has been around a long, a long enough time that it's in these books, along with uh, the concept of Dragonglass being used against White Walkers. Could it be maybe that some sort of fraction of the Caspaw Dagger is now... Uh, uh, was actually, sorry, the other way around. Could it be that Lightbringer is left over in some remnant as it became the Cat's Paw Dagger over time? It already had this storied history, and now it's just back, and it's exactly the right weapon still to, maybe it's the weapon that originally made the Night King, and then also the weapon that can kill him. So if we go that route, then yeah, she would check that off. Uh, also, if we, a lot of people are wondering, okay, well, whether or not she is the the prince that was promised or princess that was promised, uh, is it totally out of nowhere that it would be her? And we got to say no, right? This is the only character that really has had the investment in the story that would make sense for her to be the one that could kill the Night King. Obviously, John had the investment and the emotional desire to kill the Night King, but in terms of actually being able to do it, this guy is like, you know, goat powerful, right? He's like the the most unstoppable figure uh, we, we have in this series. We haven't seen anyone else actually preparing for fights at that level other than Arya. So let's actually review some of those things, right? First off, even just the fact that she had uh, Ned Stark as a dad made it so that she could study some things that uh, a girl of her time would not normally be allowed to do. If you remember right at the beginning, there was this debate about whether or not she's going to take up sewing uh, and be more like Sansa. And her dad lets her be a little, you know, rough around the edges. That's already putting her on the right path. Then, you know, not not, not much later, actually, Cyril Farrell teaches her how to, what he calls, water dance, right? Uh, And say, not today to the god of death. Then... Obviously, we spend a whole freaking season on her with the faceless men and the waif, and they teach her how to be an assassin and fight without sight. They uh, so fight in the darkness, right? Which is uh, what makes it so hard to, to fight against all the the White Walkers and the and the Whites in this episode. Uh, Arya is trained against that. She also has learned from both Sirio and the Faceless Men the idea of kind of like ninja tactics, like moving silently. Uh, in the scene later where she is hiding from the whites uh, in kind of the library in in the stacks there. She is moving so quietly that the loudest thing about her is her blood droplets hitting the ground. That shows that she is at this insane level of sneakitude, which is a real word. Just don't look it up. Uh, 
She also uh, has been training for this this in like very like like uh, easy to see ways that we've actually been shown before. She had this fight with Brienne in season seven. It was kind of like more like a, a training fight, but she used the exact hand switch trick of the dropping the dagger and picking it up with the other hand uh, in that moment. Obviously, it's not just foreshadowing the way that she ultimately uh, stabs the Night King, but it's also showing that she's picked up every single possible way to continue an attack against any level of opponent. Uh, they also foreshadowed her sneaking up on someone in the Godswood earlier this season when she does that to John. Uh, also, Melisandre foreshadowed this back in season three, uh, where she reminds uh, she reminds her about this later, that she would shut blue eyes forever. Um, Bran also gave her the cat's paw dagger back in season seven saying he had no use for it but i mean very easily he could have known that she's the only person that can wield this thing properly uh, and then the other great warriors that you might have thought might have been more appropriate for killing the night king uh they've all been trained for battle combat and we learned that <laughs> there's no there's no battle going on here against the night king and his army uh we need an assassin and this was a straight up assassination so yeah Arya is kind of the only person that makes sense to be able to actually take out the Night King. Uh, and then, yeah, she might be the only person worthy of considering maybe she is Azora High. Uh, we're going to get probably more into that um, throughout the week. I know Eric's working on videos too and has, has uh, more theories. There's a lot more to dig in there. Uh, but I just kind of want to want to hear, just kind of stutter all over myself for a second as I think about what is left for Arya to do. Um, I think that we now we really got to consider is she going toward uh, Cersei and, and King's Landing? Cersei was on her list. We know that Melisandre's original quote about the eyes of the people that she, you know, will, the eyes that will shut forever uh, was brown eyes, blue eyes, and green eyes. Um, we know Walder Frey has uh, poop brown eyes. Uh, Cersei Lannister, though, and obviously the Night King has blue eyes. Uh, Cersei Lannister has green eyes. At least she's written to have green eyes. So is, it, is she destined to kill her, uh, which is an interesting question. She also didn't use face swapping yet uh, in this season. Uh, I like how face swap sounds like she's using an app. I mean, ripping someone's face off and then putting it on her head. Uh, so that's a skill that could come into play in King's Landing. The only thing that makes me hesitate on her potentially killing Cersei is that they just gave her like the bit biggest, most badass moment in the entire series. And... It, to give her also the killing of Cersei Lannister feels not only um, like giving her maybe a little too much, it also is a little bit of a slap in the face of Maggie the Frog's prophecy where it's uh, the Valonqar that's going to kill Cersei. And of course, that just does mean that either the little brother or little sister and Arya does satisfy that. But don't we want it to be Tyrion, right? Wouldn't that just be so much better? So uh, who knows what's actually going to happen because the show is about subverting expectations denying you the glorious end that you seek. For instance, John and the Night King don't even duel. They don't even have this epic one-on-one -on -one battle. It's a lot like uh, John and Ramsay didn't have their like epic fight, like hand-to-hand -hand combat or something. Rob Stark and Jamie never had that. Uh, even the moments that we do have it, kind of like when the Mountain and Oberyn fought, you don't get the results that you want. So that's a big question there is, uh, you know, our fingers are crossed for a Clegane Bowl even happening, right? I mean, I think, I think it will happen but uh, just a lot, there's a long way to say the show doesn't give you necessarily what you want. That's the, my answer to the big question. I'm going to take a sip of water because I've been talking for a long time. 
I'm gonna, uh, if you're watching on the YouTube version, how's it feel for me just staring into your soul this whole time? You're my co-host this week. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take it for a second? All right, and I'm back. Okay, so here's another question uh, that somebody sent us, and I think it's kind of related to the big question. Uh, oh, wait, I'm supposed to, normally someone is here to, hold on, make the question happen by Raven, and here we go. Okay, hold on one sec. Oh, a caca! Oh, but thank you. Ra oh, you can't see my arm because then you might know who did it. Uh, at Wonder Mary, uh, why did the God of Light bring back John if it wasn't to kill the Night King? Interesting question. Okay. They, oh, I'm not putting the bird back on to, <laughs> to send the question away. Okay. So basically, what's John's deal if it wasn't the whole thing that the show kind of made it seem like it could be? Well, we got to remember that it's kinda, it's a little bit like if if those of you saw uh, the feature film Avengers Endgame um, this uh, this past week, there was uh, with, even without spoiling it, we can all talk about we made enough videos about Doctor Strange's plan, and we had a lot of theories about maybe every single thing that we've seen, every loss and every win is required in order for them to ultimately win the day at the end and if you think about things conceptually that way then John every single act that he's taken and will continue to take was required to win the day against the uh, the battle against the night so if we look backward then let's remember John Snow is who won back Winterfell in the Battle of the Bastards without that there is no Arya killing the Night King right so he played an essential role just like Cyril Pharrell, just like, you know, Beric Dondarrion being a barricade <laughs> uh, for for the uh, other uh, whites to just to essentially to buy Arya some time. A lot of things were about buying Arya time uh, in order for her to make her move. But then moving forward, it actually makes a lot of sense that his true destiny has a lot more to do with his Targaryen heritage and his destiny to potentially be the king of the, the Seven Kingdoms. So... In that sense, maybe his role is going to be, maybe he's the one that will kill Cersei uh, later this season. Also, there's the option of the Azor High prophecy we did say has a lot to do with, you know, taking down a loved one, your, your Nissa Nissa, if you will. Uh, what if maybe him and Arya and maybe all the Stark children have kind of like split some of the prophecy across them? Then it would potentially have him be needed to kill Daenerys Targaryen, right? His current lover, uh, who definitely her story is not finished. And I also think we haven't gotten the most badass moment from Danny yet, but we all know that she's kind of been on the verge of potentially overdoing it in some way, and he might need to stop her. Uh, even though the Night King is done, you know, the overall, uh, the the stability of the of the realm is not in place right now. So John could be the one that brings that, that stability after. Uh, or, and this is kind of the biggest bummer, but it could be interesting. He's, he's kind of a failed prophet, right? Like Stannis Baratheon had so much weight thrown behind him and he had a whole army based on it. Uh, and he burned his, his little girl because of like all this faith they had. Uh, and and uh, most of all, Melisandre birthed a little smoke baby for him and she leached up uh, our friend Gendry. Uh, and he wasn't special. So maybe Jon Snow is not special in that way as much as he is uh, just potentially going to be a good leader for, for his people. Uh, the only argument I'll make it of why I think something really cool is going to happen with Jon Snow is he was brought back.
right? So he was brought back for something, and I don't think it's happened yet. But all right, uh, moving on. Uh, Philip, why don't you take over? Sure. Uh, I actually have more answers to more questions. Uh, but first, I want to take a quick break to thank our sponsor that helps us bring West Coast Weekly to you every single week. Uh, here at New Rockstars, we are actually trying to find... Can, can, can you get this? We're trying to find more help. Does that, does that sound like something we need? Yes. So we're looking to hire uh, some some new talent, but also uh, some new writers, just people to get involved. And also, it's really hard to find people that work in that qualified, like, uh, kind of a, a higher... uh, nerdier people basically uh, who are really good at doing the kind of stuff that we do so uh, we're partnering with ZipRecruiter and they're making it a lot easier for us and they're saving us a lot of time so if you if you go to them uh, you can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash rockstars you'll see that they can be a huge help for you they've been a huge help for us Uh, applications are coming in right now because we already started posting this stuff but ZipRecruiter actually is analyzing each one of those and is spotlighting the top candidates for us so we never miss a, a great potential match. Also, they're so effective that four out of five employers who use them and post on them get a quality candidate through their site on the very first day. We already got 40 qualified nerdy candidates for our job posting in three hours. Uh, So at some point, I got to switch to that. Great. <laughs> uh, all right. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. At, this is the web address you should use. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash Rockstars. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-S. So thanks to them, ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. All right. Moving on. I, I think it's easy to forget in these episodes where we have a lot of carnage that, you know, we lose characters. And if it were any other episode and you lose one, we'd all be talking about it. Uh, but when you lose more than one, it kind of starts to feel like, oh, well, we didn't lose that many or something. No, I refuse. Uh, uh, I'm alone right now. I control this. Uh, we are going to acknowledge some characters that that passed away in this uh, past episode. Uh, first of all, a lot of whites and white walkers who were only following orders. Uh, and I think it's important that, that we kind of acknowledge that those poor corpses that were raised up I, against their will, you know, we lost a lot of them. Also, we probably lost uh, a lot of the Unsullied and also the Northern Armies who have been great and, and trying to be very helpful. Uh, we potentially lost all of the Dothraki army. I actually want to talk about that in a second. Somebody asked an interesting question about it, so I'm going to get back to the Dothraki. I, I remember you guys. I kind of look most like a Dothraki, so I also sympathize with them the most. Uh, but let's talk about some specific people. Ed. We lost our boy Ed. He outlived Gren and Pip and all the other Night's Watch people who have names that sound like they're from Lord of the Rings, except John and Sam. Like, of all the Night's Watch, that's it. That's that's all that's left is John and Sam. It kind of redshirted him a little bit to still be around. He kind of should have been like, hey, let, maybe I don't need to be in every single fight, but we appreciate that you did it. You survived. I'm going to call you out for some badass things you did. You survived the Fist of the First Men. You also survived the Battle of Castle Black. You also survived that shrieking of that creepy-ass little kid, Ned Umber, who, like, no one would have faulted you if you had a heart attack right there and died. Uh, and uh, people forget this. You were the last commander of the Night's Watch. Uh, and sadly, that means you also died a virgin. So, you know, it's kind of like a reverse teen horror movie a little bit, because uh, getting laid kept, saves the day, I guess. Uh, Sam and John lived. So, uh, you know, if those of you that are waiting, uh, maybe rethink that. <laughs> uh, do not tell your parents that I'm the reason that you did that. All right. Next up. Our, oh, this one got me. Our own little badass, Liana Mormont. 
she was the smallest warrior who got to kill the biggest warrior. It was a David and Goliath moment. She is now worthy of being called Liana Giant Spain. Uh, also, Bear Island now has nobody to rule it, and Tormund likes bears, <laughs> as far as we know. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe that if, if he survives a day, he'll go there. But uh, give it up for little Liana, Liana Mormont uh, back home. Everybody can, you know, take a shot of milk uh, and, and pour it out. Uh, all right. Uh, up next, uh, Beric Dondarrion. He was on my death pool list. It's uh, guestofthrone.com. We'll, we'll get results in on that soon, so we have no update right now, but I'm just saying, like, thank you for dying because you were on my list, and uh, it puts my my little bracket thing forward, uh, but it, it was really interesting that he kind of illustrated the idea I was trying to make earlier about everybody serving their purpose. Uh, that's what this whole episode was about. Everyone's roads led them to this moment, and I'll get to somebody else who, who very clearly did that in a second, but it was so illustrated through him because he it was not a time to bring him back again. He did exactly everything he needed to do. In fact, it was interesting if you take a look at this, this shot I have pulled up. Uh, you can see that he died in, in a Christ-like pose, which is you know famously uh, symbolic of sacrificing oneself uh, in order for the, the good of others. Uh, and also, I mean, if you're getting real literal here with Bible references, he gets stabbed in the side, which is the same way that uh, Jesus was um poked <laughs> uh also he's uh, holding the the doorway which made it uh very reminiscent of hodor uh wait bear rick bear bear the bear uh, no it doesn't work on that one uh but uh but still give it up for for beric dondarian the guy with maybe the best voice in all of westeros i really want him to read an audiobook to me uh let's move on to this one is is the maybe the most complete arc that we've had across the whole series specifically since he started from the beginning theon Greyjoy. Is it crazy that the guy who Kentucky Fried Kids, he now died a good man and a hero? That's in, that's insane. Like he was he, at one point, he was peak reek. Now he is like an actual like you know not a Stark because uh, his hair's too red. But he he went out as noble as anyone else, charging ahead in, into certain death instead of hiding and running away, which he's done multiple times, even as much as as last season when he jumps off the ship. Right. So this character, I also want to honestly just give it up to uh, what's his name, Alfie Allen, I think. That actor has just like made us fall in love with the character and hate a character and fall in love with them again and sympathize. And man, the journey that this guy took took this character on uh, was amazing. Um, I'm I'm very proud of of the character and and the actor there. Uh, and then uh, another character who had a very long journey, and I don't think people are processing how long her journey was. Uh, Melisandre. Melisandre was likely hundreds of years old. And I don't know if you you remember this, but she was. They tried to poison her way back a few seasons ago, and she survived that easily. So she might have been practically immortal, at least. Uh, we have no idea how actually old uh, she is, but she actually lived so long that she is technically the only the second person on Game of Thrones to probably die of old age. The other one being uh, Maester Aemon. So. A lot of people actually were tweeting at me, you know, why does she die in the moment that she does? Uh, and it is, it does align with her own prophecy for her own death. She's greeting the dawn and welcoming the light in finally. 
Um, people are also wondering why she needed to go to Volantis. Did she recharge there? We, we don't know the exact details. Uh, we also know that Sir Davos now has the opportunity to pick up a nice little necklace and become a very pretty lady. But why die in this moment finally? Uh, it's because her purpose is fulfilled just like Beric Dondarrion's was. She has been kept alive all of this time to make these subtle moves and put these characters just in the right place where it's it's almost like you know a certain character in Avengers Endgame where now you can finally rest. I don't think that she wants to have been alive for as long as as she has she's been you know almost tortured by by her existence she hasn't had a happy life she just was put in place to serve a purpose and by putting it uh in, in, putting the work in and doing her job uh it's almost like she's given the gift of death finally uh you know there's there's characters that in in both literature and and well not in real life so i guess just in literature uh their torture is being kept alive and to free them from that is the best reward so she actually probably went out on her best terms possible uh and especially for a character on game of thrones uh speaking of going out on your best terms possible also speaking of going out in in the way that ultimately fulfills your true purpose jorah mormont this guy started out people don't remember this part either he started out as a spy against Daenerys Targaryen and then he spent his whole life the rest of his life trying to make up for that man this is a bloody image I <laughs> pulled up uh, uh, but he died protecting his Khaleesi and you can see it in the performance and and in the character's last choices there that that's the only thing that matters to him he's made that very clear for the, the, the whole time specifically this moment he's been stabbed through basically the heart right uh, and yet he gets his sword his, his Valyrian steel sword that it uh, he got from Sam and he uses it to prop himself back up stands tall honoring finally his house which had which he had shamed before house Mormont their motto is here we stand and here he is saying no matter what to my last breath you know I'm I'm standing uh, in protection of my my queen and my Khaleesi uh that is the probably the most um, noble death that we've seen across all things of someone just doing exactly uh what they wanted all the way through, you know, Sir Friendzone, I mean, I'm reaching his end zone, I guess, uh, he he got exactly the death he probably wanted. And I think that's really interesting. I also think it's kind of interesting that Sam could be like, hey, if nobody's using Heartsbane, you know, I can, <laughs> like, I can get a lot of money for that. Uh, but, uh, and then, um, you know, this is, this is a bummer because I'm, a, I'm an animal dude. Uh, and we lost Viserion. Guys, Viserion was was also just like just well trained. You know, it was his owner's fault that really like set him down his path. He also had that real cool thing where his face was ripped open and then he had like leaky blue fire, which we've all been there. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Viserion. I, anytime we lose a dragon, I mean that's that's a big deal. But let's talk about probably the most impactful death and probably the most shocking death uh, that happened: the Night King. So just like Ned and Rob Stark, he actually died way sooner than a lot of people thought he would. But we talked about it uh, earlier in, in in Westeros Weekly episodes that, and uh, also on breakdowns that you know it's possible that he that he would die at the midpoint of the series because there's so much more or of the season because there's so much more um, to happen. And also with George R. R. Martin's favorite parts being about the shifty politics of Westeros, you know we kind of like need this thing that is the, is so distracting from who's going to be on the Iron Throne to kind of get out of the way in order to make the Iron Throne important again uh 
I think it's just really interesting to point out, by the way, it turns out he was dragon fireproof, uh, not Aria resistant though, apparently. Uh, but that's, that's fascinating. I think some people could think, you know, there's more to him then than we even knew. You know, uh, somebody asked me if he was secretly a Targaryen, uh, Targaryens aren't fireproof. Um, and he's also been established, uh, already, uh, not a Targaryen. So no, he's not, but it does kind of like lend into this idea that there's probably way more story there to be told with him. Uh, I'll remind you guys that the prequel series is about going into the first long night so it's possible that we'll see some sort of more inspiration and motivation for what he had going on in that show it kind of be smart of them to dangle one of the biggest mysteries uh to move as much of their audience into another show um but also i mean i, I like that he got to go out you know raising the the, the roof is what it looks like i'm doing but raising the dead uh, uh one more time um I do think it's uh, sad that we didn't hear him say a single word, but he did also spend his last moments with the other worst conversationalist in Westeros, Bran. Um, so, you know, it, but, and also what would have been like a good enough word? Like, yeah, I don't know, M- milk. What? what? I don't know. Man, I'm loopy. All right, let's move on to it. Oh gosh, we have another question. Hold on, I need to load up. Okay, got to get the bird on and the, the sound effect ready in my throat. And the, oh my God, here it comes. Oh no, a bird coming in for land. Kaka! All right, this is so worth it. Uh, at official underscore CeeLo asks, why did the Dothraki die so easily? Okay, this is what I was saying earlier where I wanted to get uh, into the Dothraki a little bit more. So people are like, <laughs> they just sent the Dothraki out there to die. Uh, no, it's not. It's it, They weren't like sacrificing them. They were actually, this this moment was actually supposed to illustrate a point that the show uh, was making and also continues to make throughout the entire episode. Uh, and I'm sure Eric is going to get into the different like levels and, and uh, uh, kind of the, the way the battle plays out. I know we talked previously about uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep and it had, how it had that concentric circle feeling of moving in tighter and tighter. But the issue is that when we saw this previously, uh, our heroes planned for battle, right? They were trying to fight in terms of war. They gave pieces to the Night King's army to uh, represent it on a map, and they tried to use traditional strategies against them. So the strategy they're using in that moment, it's uh, called like a, I guess the easiest way to describe it is a cavalry shock attack. Uh, it's where you send your cavalry forward purposely ahead of of, uh, when the armies are going to collide to try to engage the enemy's infantry on horseback, do some quick attacks, do a little damage, but really the whole point is to try to draw the enemy out of their uh, uh, ranks and have them uh, kind of like come in more unstable instead of holding their formation, which is a much stronger way to attack. Uh, But that only works when your army is actually an army of men that is that has a strategy of their own. Instead, it's really hard to catch this. If you, you go back and you replay this moment, you, when you see that one Dothraki right before we all the lights start to go out, you see what he does is he looks up very suddenly. And it's that's trying to illustrate they're not up against an army. There are not formations. They are trying to use battle tactics against a force of nature, right? It is a moving wall. It's it's almost more like a tsunami, literally like like a wave coming in over their head, 20 feet tall probably, and they're here like, we're going to trick them into breaking ranks. That's not going to work, and that was a point there. And we see that illustrated more when the the wave of the dead finally hits the Unsullied, and we see it's not, it's like... um like rolling bodies just stacked, you know, multiple feet high, uh, not just like a, a marching force. 
So I want to illustrate, it's not that the Dothraki were dumb in this moment or something. They just were that immediate loss that indicates none of this plan is going to work. It, everything that they did was for the, the wrong kind of uh, fight. Uh, and also it was used as motivation to mess up plans even further Miguel Sapochnik has directed previous uh, uh, battle episodes. He's, he's my favorite director on the show. He did uh, the Battle of the Bastards, and there's the moment where uh, Rickon Stark enters the the, the game, uh, enters the battlefield, and the plan that they've had gets thrown out the uh, out the window completely because Jon Snow now is distracted. That. Uh, was what was happening with Danny and John on the dragons. They were supposed to wait for the the Night King to be drawn out, but then she sees the Dothraki just wiped out completely. These are the people who were her first loyal pe- people uh, to her uh, even before the Unsullied, uh, and you know they represent kind of the the loss of Cal uh, Drogo again. But like this is all his people, and she's just like seen them wiped out. So it needed to be something of that level to pull her out of the plan too, and just make things that much worse. So no, the Dothraki didn't go out like punks. They just were mistaken about what they do. But but let's pour one out to the Dothraki a little bit right there, uh, and uh, move on. Uh, okay, this next question. Kaka, uh, it just comes from me because I would I get really giddy about certain things as I'm watching, and I I wanted to to dive into this. If you guys um are familiar with with uh our season six breakdown of our season six finale, uh, I got really into the idea of the light of the seven of this new song that Ramin Jawadi uh, composed for that episode, and it was a big deal because it was the first time that piano was used on the series, and it signified all this change, and there was a lot of storytelling that happened uh, in in that episode just through the music. So here, this is happening again, and you guys probably noticed it, that you're like, man, the, the music is really standing out to me. So I kind of just want to go into, I'm answering my own question here, what's the deal with the music? Uh, I want to go into a little bit of why the music was the, uh, designed the way it was in order to help tell the story. So they use uh, something called the sh- uh, shepherd tone. It's this technique where it sounds like a tone is continuously ringing again and again, but it's actually multiple tones of overlapping octaves that are fading in and out, but they're also rising at the same time. Uh, and they hit a peak volume at this like fixed frequency. Uh, if you're watching the video version, I- I've got a graphic here um, that might help illustrate this, but essentially it's this ascending tone that is like like hitting in this ringing way christopher nolan uses the same effect a lot in his movies what it does for you is it starts creating this sense of tension and anxiety it starts to build up in you uh it's uh, another way to think of it is when you're looking at a barbershop pole spinning around uh, or maybe the way a corkscrew twists it keeps going up but it never changes its range uh and because it's it never concludes it just raises anxiety up in you i just thought that was a bad uh, uh, choice that that they were making that is a subtle reason why you're like your breath starts to get short as you're listening here all the instruments cut out except for the piano uh, right as the Night King looks at Bran uh, it's almost like they're kind of exchanging something. Remember, piano is is on this show the the symbol of ch- a great change about to happen to the point like all rules are, are going to change. Everything about the old era is done. A new era is coming in. And piano is showing that to us again. If 
the Night King successfully kills Bran, the era of men is over here. Uh, and it's almost like they're kind of communicating something. But then the strings come back. And around this time, also the Game of Thrones theme uh, comes back in just in a different uh, uh version of it uh and so when the strings come back it's almost like the the previous era it refuses to let go and that's exactly when Arya is seen leaping through the air and then when he catches her all the music drops out we don't know which of these sounds is actually going to succeed and come out if it if it comes out the other way you know and it's just going to be piano music from then on it's because everything changed uh and what we actually hear in that moment is the sound of white walkers and whites just dying and, and falling, the ice explosions. Uh, it's a lot like the Sept of Baylor when that explodes. Uh, but then who wins? Strings for the rest of the episode. In other words, the, the time of man, uh, or the time of Game of Thrones at least, is not is not going to be lost. We're not moving forward into another change again. Uh, that's Ramin Jawadi, guys. Like that, this guy's a badass in his storytelling, just with the instruments. Um, go ahead and like you can look him up on Spotify and just play all this, and you will see that you, in your you know mind's projector, you can you can watch these episodes play out just by following the way he changes the music. He is such a badass. Let's move on to another question. I lost the bird. Kaka <laughs> at Christy Lot says, "Oh, is Ghost alive?" Also, I have on here uh, at Flute Kelsey uh, says, "How's Rhaegal doing?" Uh, people that are worried about animals just like me. Okay, so uh, when Ghost went into the Dothraki charge, uh, we don't really see him again, which would be worrisome, uh, because then like, did he die off screen? He doesn't have, uh, well, we didn't really see, you know, dragon glass affixed to his teeth, Um, but I'm going to say we can assume he survived the charge just like Jorah did. Jorah was able to come back from it. Uh, not not the best choice to put him in that charge, though, guys. I mean, like, like save him. for Put him in the crypts. That would have been great. All right. Uh, but we also see in the preview for next week's episode something that looks like a fluffy white direwolf behind Sam, and it could be just like a cuddly teddy bear that he got, but I think it's Ghost. Uh, and then as for Rhaegal, he got a pretty serious chunk taken out of him by Viserion, and then he kind of crash lands uh, with John on him, and we don't see him again, and I was really worried. Um, and then also, I mean, Drogon also I was worried about because he got swarmed by all those whites and he took uh, on a lot of Viserion's flames. Um, but we do see him show up again to comfort Danny as Drogon's dying. Uh, but luckily, since Viserion's down, in the preview for next week when we see two dragons uh, flying around, I think then that would mean that Rhaegal is also okay and so is Drogon. Fingers crossed they're, like, they don't get an infection or something. Uh all right, next question. Let's just fly through some of these. Uh, my tongue is running out. All right, at Carmen Monoxide 7 says, who is still alive? Okay, so the show did us some favors by actually showing all of the living characters at the end of the episode, but the images were dark and full of terror, so you could, it was really hard to make them out. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys were like playing with your brightness on your on your TVs. I know I was constantly, uh, but in there we see that John makes it, Danny, Arya, Sansa, and Davos. Those characters are all still alive, uh, in case you were wondering. And then the crypt, this one actually was a little harder to keep track of. Sansa and Tyrion definitely make it. Varys makes it. Uh, Masande, Gilly, uh, and Little Sam. Um, and then maybe there, there's this like little girl that the Shireen look-alike from the episode two uh, soup line. Uh, she, by the way, she did not fulfill what she said she was going to do of protecting everyone down there, but I think she made it. 
Uh, then also just out there in the battle, just somehow each taking on like a hundred whites on their own, Brian, Jamie, and Pod, because I guess if you're the student of Brian, you're as badass as she is. Uh, they all were left standing inside of Winterfell and Sam is probably still laying down there crying right now as we speak. Uh, but I think at least he's okay. Uh, also, oh, outside the gate, we would have Tormund, um, Gendry, and Grey Worm. They're all still standing. Uh, and Tyrion was right. He thought everyone around the fireplace would live, and they did, by the way. Um, here are some people that are unaccounted for, as far as I know. Uh, uh, Alice Karstark, she went off with Theon and Bran to the Godswood, uh, but then we didn't really see her again, so maybe she's like you know, Drax and she's hiding in play site or something. Uh, and then also, uh, I think it's so funny that he like tries to build himself up as the biggest, most badass soldier or something. But Jan Royce, we didn't even see him in the whole episode. I feel like he like became like a turtle and held in, uh, just hid inside of his giant metal, uh, 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 what do you call that shell? Yeah. Uh, but who knows where, where that guy is. I'm sure he's fine though. Uh, and he might play a role considering he controls the Knights of the Vale. uh, in what exactly exactly is going to happen uh next week where they have to fight a whole new battle well soon all right who else we got let's see at lehar fry lehar fry you guys need more more you need to help me pronounce your twitter handles because I, I i do not know how to say these all right uh but they do have a very interesting question is winter over hmm okay so the concept of winter has been associated with the night king uh it he brings it in we actually literally saw that uh this idea of him being able to control winter and use it to his advantage uh he he used it in his in the attack but he also kind of seems like he can control the weather a bit in general create you know cold tornadoes or whatever uh now not all previous winters were associated with the night king so obviously they still have a normal winter as they go so and at the end, when you see Melisandre collapse, we do see that it's still snowing. So it's not like winter is gone. It didn't suddenly become summer. I think we're leaving mystical, endless winter, uh, magical winter, and just going to traditional winter, which is just like delightful. Uh, but yeah, I think the long night is over, if not winter is over. Uh, what else we got? Let's see. At G-U-A-U-B-C, Guacabc, uh, <laughs> what did Arya use to kill the Night King and what did she give Sansa? Okay, uh, this was a, a kind of common uh, confusion because the screen was so dark. Uh, she does not give Sansa the cat's paw dagger. She actually holds on to that one herself, which is smart. She gives Sansa just a dragon glass blade, the same thing that everyone else is using. Uh, so that's what Arya did use. Um, Sansa herself, you know, it's good she wasn't given the cat's paw dagger because she doesn't even use the the uh, dragon glass blade to stab anybody with the pointy end. Uh, side note, though, the cat's paw dagger uh, is is also kind of thematically relevant and, and is appropriate to be the thing we we talked earlier about how it might have been what created the Night King, but also it it's what partially started the war in the first season, uh, and it's so appropriately the thing that's ending this war in the final season. Uh, I think. That that blade has kind of mostly played its role now, but we'll see if it gets used again. Uh, at Ari Williamson, where did Bran go when he warred? So he tells Theon, uh, well, "I'm gonna go now," and uh, and then he just like wargs into a flock of r ravens and just leaves Theon alone. Uh, 
uh, or Theon. I hope Theon like knows that that's what he's doing when he rolls his eyes backward. He's not just like rolling his eyes at him. Uh, but so the ravens that he's working into, they approach the Night King uh, when he's on Viserion and the Night King puts out his hand. Uh, that's when the whites start making that body bridge over the trenches. Um, but then Bran doesn't come back from warging until the Night King shows up at the Godswood and says he says the last line of the episode to Theon. Uh, and he doesn't need to lure the Night King out anymore since he's already been marked and the Night King's already on his way to him. So it could be just as simple as he's just trying to keep track of the Night King at that time. Uh, I don't think he's like trying to send any specific messages or anything. It is possible that, you know, if we want to dive into these kinds of theories, he could have warged into the past and maybe make sure that all his moves were paying off. Maybe, you know, that's when he told his old self, make sure to give Arya the cat's paw dagger or something like that, or make sure to align these characters so they all end up at Winterfell. It is possible, but the show hasn't been doing that much of that. Uh, so, I think he might just kind of be uh, just kind of watching from a better POV, honestly. Um, but yeah, maybe I hope to be uh, wrong and see if there's something else that um, that is actually like going on there. Uh, but I've got a video question, which is great because that means somebody else gets to do the talking. Uh, this is going to come from Stardust. It's the social media app that we use. Uh, it's like a film and TV lovers app. Uh, people share their reactions and questions on there through video or text. Um, and we'll play one in a second, but I actually want to remind you guys, this is how you guys are applying to be the winner, the one of the winners that's going to get flown out to Hollywood to watch the Game of Thrones finale with us. Uh, so we're going to actually announce the first winner next week. Uh, remember to enter. All you got to do is follow us uh, at New Rockstars and also follow Game of Thrones on there and then tag at New Rockstars in your Game of Thrones reaction or your Game of Thrones question. Uh, and then you're entered to win this trip you and a friend and we were kind of like oh is, is you know two people enough and we were, we were talking about that a little bit and then we decided let's go ahead and make it four people are going to get flown out so if you're out there and you're tagging new rockstars and you're following us and game of thrones uh one winner and a friend will be announced next week and then later on uh, uh after that we're going to announce another winner and a friend will also be able to get flown out and you will join us to watch the freaking finale of game of thrones at a special vip screening that we're doing i'm super excited uh my tongue is done so let's Let's play a video. What's up, new rock stars? My name is Carly Ann, and I just got done watching the third episode. I am an emotional train wreck. I am so stressed out, but I had a few questions for your show that I wanted to ask. So firstly, would John have survived fire from Puff the Ratchet Dragon? Thank you, Philip Molina, for that. Why did the Night King survive the fire? That doesn't make sense. Was he a Targaryen? I don't know. How did Arya sneak up on him? That was next level ninja sh and where did Melisandre come from and why did she have to die? Please answer these questions. Thank you uh, so much for give, uh, sending in your question to give me a break for a second. Uh, uh, most of those questions I did answer earlier in the episode, but I do want to acknowledge that John stands up against Viserion and some people are like, what? What's he doing there? Is he fireproof? I do not think that Jon Snow is fireproof because again, Targaryens aren't necessarily fireproof. Daenerys Targaryen is the unburnt. Uh, so I think he's just trying to like take a stand and realize I need to take this dragon out of the fight. Uh, and then he decides to do that thing where like, you know, if I yell really loud, maybe I'll distract it and then I'll stab it. Uh, not the smartest move, uh, but Tyrion's a smart guy, right? Jon, Jon Snow is just, uh, the, the warrior. Um, so I don't think he actually, I think he would have been a lot less brave if he was like, I'm not going to get burned. Uh, no, I think he can get all burned up. Uh, we got another question. 
after all said and done, their army is depleted, but yet they're going to go and attack King's Landing? Question mark. How is that possible? They have no one left. <laughs> yeah, right. Big question. Uh, uh, well, the big question was something else, but important question. Uh, we, okay. I'm just doing like rough, like, you know, back of uh, uh, used napkin math. Um, I don't know why the napkin had to be used. Uh, so if we had a force of maybe, I think it was like 32, 34,000 um, available at the Battle of Winterfell uh, against the Night King's army, we got, I got to say, they're reduced to at least maybe like a third. So I'm assuming we got about maybe 10,000 left. Um, they usually reveal kind of like a bunch of people were, were hiding. Uh, so people within the walls, especially if we have about 10,000 left, that would match up pretty well with maybe about the golden company that's left. Of course, the golden company is like fresh trained warriors and you know, the 10,000 I'm counting includes a little girl with the burn scars, uh, for, for the other side. So, uh, it's not exactly a fair fight, but then on top of that, Cersei has Lannister army still, uh, available to her and Kingsguard and all that. So, uh, yeah, they are completely, uh, not set up in a way where they should be able to, um, fight at all or have anything other than maybe the fact that, uh, they have dragons on their side. I do think that they'll still play a role. Um, there, there is still potentially, you know, a, a big old uh, macro bow and arrow that can t- that can be used against them. But I think that's going to be like the same thing as having fighter jets in the fight. So that'll help a little bit. But here's, I'm just this is a shot in the dark. Uh, what about Dorne? Right, Dorne hasn't has been quiet this whole time. I mean, they're still probably enjoying like a nice, cool, you know, seventy three degrees or something uh, uh, down there. Uh, so it's not quite winter there. They have a lot of anger against the Lannisters and against Cersei specifically. Uh, and then you know, it's kind of that idea of the the pinch maneuver in a in a battle, right? But it's uh, the t- the war on two fronts, uh, famously used uh, against Germany in World War Two with with you know the the front from the west and then the Russians in the east. Uh, it's it makes kind of an unwinnable battle if you have to split your your forces in two ways it's also been used in game of thrones before maybe surprise dornish force comes in from the south and now that's a battle that can be won and in terms of when we think that battle will happen uh, i'm guessing maybe episode five because that's the other miguel sapochnik uh, directed episode this season and he's he loves to do our, our battles uh also I, I just want to point out while i'm talking about him for a second this episode uh was not called the Battle of Winterfell. And a lot of people thought it was going to be called that. It was called the Long Night instead. Uh, and I think it's because it actually did not end up being the big war episode in in, in a way. It actually ended up being much more of a horror movie. Uh, Sapochnik previously did, when he did Battle of the Bastards, that to me felt like his like signature, like this is me doing like a battle uh, movie. It had references to Ron and uh, uh, Kurosawa films. And like he definitely was like, trying to show this is the way that I would love to do a, a war film. I think this episode he was trying to say, this is the way I would love to do a horror film uh, and also, you know, a thriller and, and went on a couple different things. But there were references to Romero uh, instead of, uh, you know, a Spielberg uh, war film or something. So I think he was trying to do that there. So that's the reason I'm bringing that up is I still think we're going to see a more traditional, you know, pitch battle or something uh, coming up soon. Uh, and I'm hoping that that's actually where also we're going to see strategy play a big role again and where Tyrion is actually going to uh, make, you know, fulfill his ultimate destiny, which is just him killing everybody. Uh, and he's just going to be revealed as another Arya level badass. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But speaking of badasses killing everybody, uh, we did do a kill count this week. It's crazy. 
somehow it kept up with it. So I'm gonna pull this, all, all this up. Uh, here, here, let's take a look at this. Uh, I'm gonna be the, the map guy during an election. All right, so uh, we got Jamie Lannister in this area and he killed uh, 16 by himself, which is not bad, but Brian actually did 17 kills and they did that like back-to-back -back moment, which was pretty badass, which is tied with, this is crazy, Theon Greyjoy also at 17 kills, uh, which were all bow and arrow based, uh, which is pretty crazy considering that it was like just discharging force um and that's i mean the most badass theon's ever been of course Arya not only has the kill of the episode she has 21 kills in general throughout this episode and she has such badass moments uh right before she slides down the roof uh i i was looking most forward to her i felt like she was going to be wolverine on the battlefield and i think it did kind of pay off i think that uh we gotta the thing i don't know is is she going to play a role in the battle against cersei and the lannisters at king's landing if so i think then maybe we can finally have her and the the hound back to back um you know cannibal a special uh you know him throwing her at people and she just like slices her heads off or something uh but surprisingly we this this was not the highest number of the episode jorah mormont has 25 kills by like just just most of them coming just in protecting daenerys targaryen who herself gets four kills which is great because it's pointing out you know she's not just gonna stand there and be the damsel she's she's letting uh, jorah protect her uh, but at the same time she picks up a sword herself and gets in four good kills is it appropriate to call these kills if most of these people are already dead uh and then Jon snow with a, a respectable 16 but what we couldn't count is if there's a moment there uh where we see john just surrounded by all the newly raised whites and then we don't see how he got out of that so uh this number could easily be like 360, uh, but we didn't see that, so I was only able to count 16. Uh, and then I'm also just gonna throw out there, you know, Danny, you were like, oh, well, she killed four, that's cute. Danny with Drogon killed hundreds of whites. Uh, and then just one more shout out to the little bear herself, Liana Mormont, killed one, but he was a giant. So he counts as, I don't know, 15, uh, 16. So she's up there with, with Jon Snow too. Uh, so those numbers often can kind of give away who wins the power rankings, but let's get into the power rankings because you guys know who won the, the power rankings this one. We almost thought about not even doing it, uh, but based on our Twitter poll last night, you guys voted who had the best showing. I think I'm just gonna give away right now, yeah. Arya, 88.7% of the vote went to Arya, so she got first place in terms of uh, uh, who, who won this thing. But it's actually who came second and third in power rankings that I think is interesting. So let's jump to the third place. Uh, and that with 2.5% of the vote, most powerful character, Theon Greyjoy crazy right but that said it's not just because he had all the kills that he did by himself and protected Bran for as long as he did which was ex like he was the the you know the Scotty Pippen setting up Arya to to make the dunk like this is this was absolutely a required role in this but speaking of absolutely required roles and devoting your whole life to that that's why I think second place with 4.4 percent of the vote went to Melisandre Melisandre, you might have felt like, oh, she was doing cute little things and she did a, a great pep talk uh, to our, our Michael Jordan of Aria. Uh, but she has been doing all of these moves and machinations for the entirety of the series and things that we, we didn't even see on this show. So 
yeah, I think it's fair to say that Melisandre played this insanely uh, important role. Um, and also a big part of it, again, just even in this battle of just buying time too, right? When she lights up the trench, uh, everything was required for Arya. You can see in, there's a moment where I don't want to make it seem like Arya was sitting waiting for just the absolute last possible moment to attack the Night King. We see, and some people were wondering, how is it that she um, she gets to him? The White Walkers that are standing there, the generals, they're like, oh, well, they would have seen her coming. You'd see that moment where one's hair moves and then the one in front of him, his hair moves and it happens so fast that he's not even done turning his head by the time the next one's hair is moving. This implies that Arya is sprinting at full speed, full force. She also runs out of the room that she came out before. Uh, she was bought just exactly the right amount of time to fly through the air and stop the Night King from killing Bran at just the last uh, moment. So then if you're thinking about that and you realize, you know, Melisandre bought them a few more minutes here, Beric Dondarrion bought, bought them a few more minutes there, you see how really it did. Everyone was essential coming down to the last second, uh, which is which is something that I actually want us to do a video about, about everything that for the whole series that led to this exact moment of killing the Night King. But... Uh, we end every week of Westeros Weekly uh, with one last thing that we do, which is we watch the teaser for next week's episode, and I, I'll just give some quick reactions to it, but let's all watch it together. We have won the Great War. Now we will win the last war. We'll rip her out root and stem. Oof. Okay. So, uh, just quick stuff there. I noticed that it uh, uh, looks like Danny has won the respect of the, the Northern folk because uh, there's only a few left, probably, so it's not as hard. She could go one by one and kiss each other babies. Uh, but uh, other stuff, man, they really are pushing Cersei and Euron. Uh, so I really hope that means he dies because he's on my death pool <laughs> list uh, pretty soon coming up. Um, I think it's going to be a lot about how the Golden Company comes into play and how it, what we talked about earlier, how on earth they could potentially fight, especially if the dragon we see them there but they don't we don't see them doing a lot of damage so they could still be injured uh and i think that you know with all these forces converging now we do have to remember not only the valencar prophecy that i said earlier this could be coming into play here and somebody could be going after cersei directly but also the the thread that's been started with Braun having a secret mission to kill jamie and Tyrion, uh it could all start to come into play here as things are coming together or maybe the the following episode is where we'll actually see it all happen uh, in that Sapochnik directed war episode. Uh, but guys, my, like my my mouth finished t t this twenty minutes ago and have been mush mouth since. Uh, that's enough for this episode of Westeros Weekly. I have to get some rest at some point, uh, and then also I just need to process and mourn right over what's happened. Thank you so much for watching, and do not forget to or listening actually, and don't forget to subscribe both to New Rockstars on the YouTube channel and this Westeros Weekly podcast. But we started a new one. It's a MCU-based one. It's called Inside Marvel. Get that everywhere you get your podcast. All of our Avengers Endgame content is on there. Just like every other podcast we do, all our stuff comes out there first because it's so much easier to just knock out the audio before these fancy visuals uh, that of, of me tapping my phone. Uh, and uh, you can tweet more questions to us about Game of Thrones every week with the hashtag Westeros Weekly. Make sure you start doing that as soon as the episode airs because that's when we start pulling uh, immediately. Uh, and then you can also do that, remember, on Stardust. Just make sure to tag at 
new rock stars and you also get those entries to get flown out here follow me at fimo uh on twitter and you can ask me questions direct me uh, directly or uh you can hit me up uh, at philip molina on instagram and make fun of me for the way i look uh but guys i'm done i hope you're done too in a good way though you can rest now and so can i bye <laughs> <laughs>